0: Morning. Yes, I'm from West Virginia, and uh, for some reason the Lord took me back to West Virginia. I've been trying to figure that out, but I know He wanted us there. Uh, I did not attend that church when I was there. I Actually, was involved in starting a church in Fairmont before I went to seminary, and that was all the experience I had before I went to Glenford in starting that church. But uh, this is a great church. It's been there for a long, long time. And I was just sitting here thinking, one of the reasons the Lord's obviously taken me there is because of Austin Brownlee. Austin is now here at uh, BCM. His parents uh, love the school. And uh, that's been a, a real blessing. So I get some familiar face when I get up here from Fairmont. Uh, I went to Fairmont State College. It's now Fairmont State University. My wife and I both graduated from there back in 1972. Uh, graduated. And um, I never thought I'd be back in West Virginia, but I've learned one thing about my homeland. You can get the boy out of the hills, but you can't get the hills out of the boy, amen? So I love West Virginia, and I love being back there. I don't love what's going on in West Virginia for, some, for a lot of things are going on I don't care for. But anyway, we're sure glad to be back there. You pray for the church. We've been looking for a pastor. We've looked at a number of guys, but nothing has excused the, the phrase but clicked. I've never felt God's leading or peace about any particular man yet. They want us to stay, but I've never had peace about that either, that God took me there to stay to be the pastor of the church. Although I am pastoring the church and enjoying it and having a good time, love the people. Uh, One of the sad notes was the school, we had to shut it down temporarily at least. We didn't have enough students last year. And the uh, school administrator and our music man resigned. He'd been there 33 years, great fellow, loyal. And he went back to Georgia and they just found out he had cancer. So they took four uh, tumors off his brain and now they're trying to get gamma knife surgery to get some of the lesions that are there. And uh, that was a, a really uh, heavy blow because people loved him. He loved the church. He hated to leave. But uh, we got attached to each other, we had uh, kindred spirits, so I went down to Georgia and see him about a month ago before he went into surgery, and so his life is kind of right now, we're just praying God will bring him through all of this. But anyway, it's good to be here. You know, West Virginia does get a rap, doesn't it? Uh, I know, I've been around, here a lot of West Virginia jokes, occasionally I tell some. I won't tell any today. <laughs> But learning things about West Virginia, I was talking to uh, Pastor Rick Arrowwood a couple of weeks ago. Rick used to pastor in Mannington, West Virginia, I don't know if you know where that's at, it's about 15 miles northwest of Fairmont, and uh, we have some real uh, uh, famous people have come out of West Virginia in the sports as well as in ministry, preachers, but we had... Uh, A man by the name of Sam Huff. Now, this goes back a few years. Your pastor probably would remember that. He was in the Football Hall of Fame. uh, And he came from Fairview, which is just a few miles from Fairmont. And um, then they had the Manchin family. I'm sure you've heard about Joe Manchin. Uh, His dad was a very wealthy man. He uh, wore $500 suits. He rode around in a limousine. But uh, Sam Huff and him were good friends, and Sam's, I think it was Sam's brother-in-law passed away. Brother Arrowwood had the privilege of doing the funeral, and Sam Huff and Joe Manchin both showed up at that funeral. So when Rick preached and gave an invitation, he said, both those men held their hands up for salvation. And so after it was over, Mr. Manchin, Joe's dad, came up to Rick and said, I meant what I said. I accepted the Lord. Well, man, that's, that is a tremendous thing. Now, I don't know that Joe has ever done a Joe mansion, but I've met his brother, Rocky. <laughs> Rocky mansion. We've got to be good friends. He runs a flooring business, rug business and flooring business in Fairmont. So I've gotten to know him. I've never met Joe, but my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, had uh, dinner with him up in uh, Petersburg. He came to uh, the neighbors of my brother-in-law's camp and Joe was there and spent the evening. My brother-in-law got to meet, meet him and get to know him. And he offered my brother-in-law, I said, if anything I can ever do for you, let me know. <laughs> and I was thinking, I think there's a lot of things you could do if you would. <laughs> but anyway. Well, let's get to the scripture this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to turn there. Chapter 12. We're going to look at the first three verses here this morning. The first three verses. The writer says, wherefore? that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Father, would you bless this morning thy word to our hearts. May we learn something here this morning that would be an encouragement and a help to us spiritually, especially in our living by faith. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking, 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 the Bible tells you to look unto Jesus. So where are you looking this morning? That's the question. Who or what are you looking to? This is talking about more than just seeing somebody or a casual look. What he's talking about in this word here is an intentional, purposeful decision to fix your gaze on someone. Your mind even on someone. It's called concentration or focus. Focus. That's what he's wanting. Get your focus where it belongs and keep it there. On the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in this text. If you go back to chapter 10. And verse 38. The writer quotes from Habakkuk 2.4. This statement is made four times in the Bible. First time in Habakkuk. Three times in the New Testament. Paul used it twice. In in Romans 1.17. And Galatians 3.11. Now the writer here in Hebrews. Is stating it again. The just shall live by faith. And he goes on to say, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And then what he does in chapter 11 now, we go into what we know as the famous hall of faith. And he gives you illustrations from uh, the Old Testament throughout the Old Testament period. And he gives you a lot of people by names. And then he mentions many who were not named. Who have done that very thing, young people. Lived their life by faith. That's the life of the Christian. It's a life of faith. But what he does, he gives you all these illustrious examples in chapter 11. Then he comes back to it in chapter 12. So if you took chapter 11 out and went to chapter 10, verse 38. And then moved on to chapter 12. You find out, well, how do you live this by faith? How do you apply this? Living by faith. So first of all, he reminds you what he just went, went through and covered in chapter 11. All these examples, illustrations of faith. He said, wherefore, so he's referring back to what he just given us, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, he's saying, look, there's many people who've already done this. They have lived their life by faith. And that's what God calls upon us to do. It is a life of faith. What is faith? Faith is trust, it's dependence, it's reliance upon him for our life and living our life. And it's pictured in this text as a race, as a race. So what we see first of all in verse 1, I would say, is the motivation for looking to Jesus. Look at it. First of all, there's that cloud of witnesses, all those believers, Christians who've gone before us, that great cloud and that word cloud, is a, it's a picture of people, lots of people. Uh, it expresses a great number of people. And it also expresses the unity of those people. They all were in this together, as we all are. But notice we're compassed about with them. And the idea of the compassing, of course, is to spread around, to surround us. Reminds me of a, of a football stadium. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm a football fan, but not like I used to be. I used to watch a lot, but I've I've given it up. It's too hard on my nerves. I get stressed out, especially when they're losing, and I think you yeah, know it's not worth it. So I just check it out on my app once in a while see how the scores are going. And when I see they're losing, I'm glad I'm not watching. Amen. You know I'm a loyal fan, <laughs> especially when they're winning. But anyway, but I think about that. I've had the privilege of going to some uh, football games. When we were in Glenford, my wife worked part time for a doctor, and he had a season pass to the Ohio State Buckeyes. I know that's bad, bad thing to bring up up here, but anyway, uh, I am a Buckeye. I'm a worthless nut. <laughs> that's what a Buckeye is. You don't eat those things. They look like a chestnut, but don't you eat them? Because they are. They have a. I understand they have a poisonous side to them, so they're a worthless nut. So anyway, I'm a Buckeye fan. My family's Buckeye fans, unless West Virginia's playing. Now, when I was up here, I was a Wisconsin fan. (laughs) But I'm not here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So I am loyal to the Buckeyes, unless West Virginia's playing. And that's my my, uh, home state. Um, By the way, Sam Huff graduated from West Virginia University. Another well-known football uh, coach... You've probably heard of him. I think his name is Nick Saban. He uh, coaches the Crimson Tide in Alabama. He's from Monongah, West Virginia. And that's where I got into my first Fundamental Baptist Church was Monongah, West Virginia. No, Nick wasn't there. But anyway, (laughs) but I got into that. But he's from Monongah, and you know his career. He's had a tremendous career down there. I don't know much about him. I don't think he's saved. I don't know for sure. Uh, I know that my brother-in-law, a relative of Saban's, lives beside him, and he talks about the day he's going to inherit from Nick Saban. I think he's dreaming, but anyway, he's he's a relative, and he's hoping that one of these days, all that money that Nick Saban has, he'll be able to get some of it. Well, you can dream, right? But anyway, when you're in that stadium, you are surrounded by thousands of people. And I enjoyed it. My son and I got to go to several games free. That was, that was really good. One time we went and uh, we uh, bought tickets outside the stadium. That's not good. Uh, they hold it over you trying to get as much money as they can. But you get in there and the, the atmosphere of it. Thousands of people. But you know, we're surrounded by somebody much better than those crowds at the football game. All those people have lived down through the ages for God. For Christ. And have gone on before us. They're in heaven now. With the Lord. And one day we're going to be there. But we're not there right now. We're still down here folks. On planet earth. And we're in this race. Amen. And this race isn't over. And it's not going to be over until you die. Or Jesus comes. Now I prefer to go when Jesus comes. Amen. (laughs) But the reality is you're either going to die or you're going to go out with Jesus when he comes and takes you out in the rapture. But we have all those examples of people who've done this for centuries, millennia, living for God by faith. Great examples. There's Abraham, the father of faith. But secondly, we not only see the Christians that motivate us, we see the challenges that face us in this race. That should motivate us to look to Jesus. Look at what He says. He goes on to say, "Look, lay, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. We've got to deal with that. Now, weight is something that's not a sin; it's a hindrance. So, it's something that holds you back. So, if you were racing back in those days, you wouldn't race in a full robe. You would lay that aside." So you're not hindered by the weight of that uh, when you're running. So the idea of that word is to put it aside like taking off a garment and and put it aside. And so he says, you've got to lay aside every weight. Now, it it can be different for different people what those weights might be. It could be a hobby. It could be an individual. It could be different things. But they're holding you back in living for Christ. You're, it's holding you back in running this race, and you need to put it aside. I believe it can can become sinful or become a sin if you're not careful. But he's talking about those things that hold you back and hinder you from giving your all to this race and and heading toward the goal because we know what the goal is. But then he said the besetting sin, the besetting sin. The idea of this word besetting, the idea of that which easily surrounds you or ambushes you even. Uh, It's something that is dangerous. Uh, It can uh, hold you back and hurt you and you need to get rid of it. Now that's different for different people but there's certain things that we have to deal with in our life that are besetting sin and I'm not going to go into particulars but you think about is there something in my life that's like that that's bothering me that interferes my relationship with Christ that keeps me from having victory and living by faith is there something there then folks if there is get rid of it lay it aside get rid of it have victory I tell you two of my favorite verses in scripture and thinking about, about my life before I got saved I love that passage in that verse in 2 Corinthians 2 4 um, Thanks be unto God Who always causes us to triumph in Christ I want you to notice he said Who always causes us to triumph in Christ And maketh um, Oh my mind's not working right now Maketh manifest the knowledge of him by us The savor of his knowledge by us The other one is Thanks be unto God who Always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. Are you living on the victory side this morning? Are you living in triumph over sin? Over this flesh, as pastor talked about yesterday. The flesh, one of the greatest enemies we have. Satan. Are you victorious over the temptations that come? Are you facing them and having victory over them? You can, because God's given us the Holy Spirit of God. You've heard this many, many times. The Holy Spirit of God is in us and we have the wherewithal we need and all we need to have victory and triumph in Jesus Christ. He is the triumphant one. Amen. He is the victorious one. But notice as we go on, he said, no, running this race, he said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So Paul has in mind this, and he obviously had seen the races and so forth, some of the sports that went on in that day, I'm sure, because he brings it up in Scripture. But he says this race we're running, if you go back to chapter 10 and look at verse 36, he said, For we, ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Patience. That word patience is the idea of endurance, patient endurance, not quitting, not giving up. Sometimes when you're in college and you're in my class, I don't know, maybe some of you just feel like quitting and giving it up. Well, you can't do that. Amen. Someone said when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Amen. Well, some of you need to get tougher and tough it up and make up your mind to be faithful and finish the course. Do the job and get her done. So endurance, don't let up, don't quit. And in 2 Peter 1, 6, that's one of the things you're to be adding to your faith is patience, endurance. And young people, God's going to put you in places or allow you to be in places where you're going to learn patience. And remember how the Bible says it comes? Tribulation, worketh what? Patience, patience, tribulation, the hard times, the tough times, the challenges, the fires that you go through. Teaching you to be patient and wait on the Lord. Some people are not very patient, very patient. But you know, someone said the purpose of God often develop slowly. Not in our time, in his time. There was a great preacher of, of bygone days Phillips Brooks and Brooks was noted for his poise and his quiet demeanor and manner and he was noted for that but he also had moments of frustration and irritability can anybody identify with him I must identify there are times when I can get irritated I can get impatient and I have to ask the Lord to forgive me for that But he, that wasn't his normal demeanor. But one day a friend went to his office and Brooks was pacing back and forth. And you could tell he was irritated. He was frustrated. And the friend said, what's wrong? Why are you that way? Well, Brooks said this, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. God doesn't get in a hurry. Amen. You need to learn to be patient. You need to learn to endure. Back in 2015, the running of the Austin Marathon, there was a lady who was running in that race. She was a well-known runner. She was a very professional runner. And for some reason, short of the goal line, she was exhausted. She collapsed and fell to the ground. But she didn't lay there. She crawled. And she crawled the last mile or so of that race and crossed that finish line. She didn't cross first, but amazingly she crossed third place. She wouldn't quit. Why? She had her eyes where they belonged. She had her goal where it belonged. She was looking at the finish line. I'm gonna cross that finish line. Young people, you gotta be patient and keep running. The story of the turtle, the tortoise, and the rabbit, and who won the race? Well, the tortoise ended up winning because he just kept at it. You've heard of the Energizer Bunny? I don't know where he's at, but he's still going. You got to keep going. You don't quit. You don't let down. One thing that my father instilled in me evidently, and I believe he wasn't saved, but he instilled this in me. When I give you a job to do, you finish the job. So I was afraid not to finish the job. Amen. I knew the consequences. But he also said, you do the job right. You do the job right. So when you finish, make sure you've done it right. Make sure you've done it the way you were taught to do it. So we see the motivation for this race. But now let's look at the mandate that he gives us. Where are we be looking? And he tells you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith the mandate to look. The idea of this word is to look away from one thing or one person to look to another. And the idea of the word is to look intently, steadfastly. Keep your gaze, keep your focus, keep it fixed, keep it where it belongs on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the Lord. You know, in reading through the Gospels, you want to see Jesus? You want to see how he lived? How he talked, how he dealt with people. Because he's our model, amen? He's our example. And I challenge you, as you read through the Gospels, watch him carefully. Learn from him and watch. You'll learn a lot about how you should be as a Christian. How you should handle situations. How you should deal with people. And so on. And if you're going to be a pastor, you better learn that, amen? Because you're going to be dealing with people. So you learn from him and watch him, his life, his ministry. How he carried it out. Look at his cause. The son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. His heart, his goal was the salvation of those who were lost. And look at the cross. Look what he went through. Before the cross and on the cross. And if you can look at that and not be moved, there's something wrong with you. Amen. There's something wrong with you. What he went through, the extent he went through. The sacrifice he would make and how many of us have really sacrificed in our Christian walk. Look at him. Look at what he did, what he went through, what the price was. Who his own self took our sin into his own body on the tree. And because of his love for us and his mercy upon us, he was willing to take the judgment and the punishment that you and I will never take. And that ought to make you shout for glory, amen. But you need to be looking to Him for help. The Lord is my helper. Look at chapter thirteen, where the writer says, "Let your conversation be without covetousness." As I tell the class, that particular word of covetousness is dealing with money. It's a money that means don't. Uh, it's a word that means don't covet money. Let your conversation be without covetousness and to be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave thee nor will I forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I'm going to tell you that verse may become very real to us before it's over. Amen. We don't know what we're facing in the future with what's going on in our country. But no matter what it is the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man can do unto me and the devil will use fear my friend if he can to get you sidetracked or to make you quit so looking unto Jesus for strength one of my favorite verses is Isaiah forty twenty nine. he giveth power to the faint and to those who have no might he increaseth strength amen and oh how we need it to keep going and for hope. And he is our hope. He is the hope of the believer. And that day that we're looking for when he comes, that blessed hope of the, great, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking? You got your eyes where they belong? Let's go back to chapter 11 and look at two men that had their focus right. They were looking the right direction. And that's what kept them going, and that's how they finished. So if you go to chapter 11, let's go back to uh, verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. And the first one we see is Abraham. So what kept Abraham, the man of faith, going? We see in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out of a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. I remember when we went to Glenford, Ohio, my in-laws were very concerned what I was doing with their daughter. And so my mother-in-law asked my wife, where are you going? We're going to a place called Glenford, Ohio. Where are you going to live? We don't know. Well, how much is he going to be making there? We don't know. Well, where are you going to get a church? Where are you going to get people for church? We don't know. All we know is this. That's where God wants us to go. So, see, young people, that's what you've got to settle. So, when I would go to a ministry, I did not want to hear what they were offering me. I want to know one thing. Is this where God wants me? Because if that's where God wants me, that's where I'm going no matter what. Amen? And if God calls you wherever He calls you to, He will provide for you. He'll take care of it. And He did. And I was a full-time pastor from the beginning. I did not have to work two jobs, pastoring and work a job. I took some paint jobs on the side occasionally for extra income. But uh, God took care of us. And so Abraham went out. But notice verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. You see, young people, you got to look beyond the temporal and the earthy and keep your focus fixed where it belongs On the eternal. Everything that's temporal down here. One day folks. Listen. Everything we have down here. One day is going to be incinerated. Every vestige of man's works. And what he has accomplished. And what he's been able to do. Which God gave him that ability. God is going to incinerate this place. It will be burned up with fervent heat. So why in the world would we get so attached to it? Knowing that one day. It's going to be all gone. So Abraham had his look where it belonged. But let's go on. Let's go to verse 27. And let's look at Moses. Moses. This man is an amazing man. As I said to the young people. uh, How did Moses turn out the way he did. To lead Israel out of Egypt. Egypt. When he lived for at least 38 years, probably 35 to 38 years, maybe, in the house of Pharaoh, in a very wicked environment, sinful, immoral environment. And I've got an answer for you. He was raised till he was weaned by his mother. And his mother obviously instilled in that little boy the truth of God. And he knew the Lord. Somewhere along the line, he came personally to know him in a personal way. And so when he came of age at the age of 40, I would rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. And notice what it says, for a season. this isn't All, all this isn't going to last, people. And so what was he doing? Well, let's look. He chose, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the people of God to... And to enjoy, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses had his mind on something far beyond what Egypt could have offered him, and the position and the power and the, 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 the pleasures he could have had. He had his focus on something else. Where's yours this morning? Where are you really focused on? Well, some of you are just getting out of here. I want to get my education. But you've got to look far beyond the present. And you've got to keep that in mind. Looking unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ. So, he is our model. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author... And the finisher of our faith. The, I find this interesting. The word here that is translated author is the same word you'll find back in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter said, You have killed the prince of life. That's Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. The idea yeah, of this word author is a pioneer, a pathfinder. You see, folks, Christ lived this life before you already. He came into this world. He was born like you and I were born, delivered just as every child was delivered in that day. He grew up as a child going through infant years, elementary years, high school, junior high and high school. And then his adulthood, he became, uh, he had a vocation. He became a carpenter like his father on one occasion they said, is not this the son of the carpenter? But on another occasion they said, is not this the carpenter? Jesus worked. That might be foreign to some of you. I don't know. Work. He worked. He made things. And I find it very interesting that you don't get much of his life from his birth and coming back to, uh, to uh, Nazareth from those years until he goes into the ministry. But you get one picture in his life after he comes back to Nazareth. And his age was 12. And I often wondered, why did the Holy Spirit give us that picture, pull the curtain back in the life of Jesus and just let us see that? And I think if you read the text in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, you'll find the answer. Because remember, he was not with the the entourage that was going back from the feast there in Jerusalem. He stayed behind. He was in the temple asking questions and answering questions with the rabbis, the spiritual leaders. And so when they found him, his mother said, why have you done this? She said, woman, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? But then notice what what the Bible says about him. And I use this for teenagers, Teenager, God wants you to follow Jesus Christ's example. He went down with them and became subject unto them. He submitted to the authority and the leadership of his parents. And you'll not see him again until he's 30 years old. And he begins his ministry. Very interesting. The same age of what Joseph was when God brought him out of that prison and set him up. To become the second most powerful man in his day. Under Pharaoh. Moses. Had his his focus and his look fixed. On the future. The eternal. And young people that's where we've got to be thinking. Jesus made it clear. Lay not for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt. But lay them up where? In heaven. Because they'll be waiting on you there. Amen. Amen. So he is the model we're looking to, the author and the finisher, the idea of completion, to bring one to a goal, to get it finished. Jesus reached the end successfully. And though he despised the shame of that cross, he had joy because he knew what was going to happen after the cross. That he would resurrect and he would be ascending back to heaven and he would sit down at the right hand of his father where he sits today. Amen. Where you can be looking unto Him. And praying through Him to the Father. And receiving what He wants to give you. If by faith you trust Him. So our faith. Our faith. The just shall live by faith. The Lord Jesus has already gone this way. He lived it. He was tried. Tested. He was faithful. He finished. And He sat down. And He's our example. We're to imitate Him. That's what a follower of Christ is. An imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I find it very interesting. As you read the gospels. How he did what he did. The same way you and I are to be doing it. By the enabling power. Of the Holy Spirit of God. You ever notice that? That's how we're to do it. The Bible makes that clear for us. Dependence on the Father. And dependence on the Holy Spirit. Look at Hebrews 4.15. Back to Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. And notice the writer here, as he says, For we have not a high priest that can, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was touched, he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, I say, well, nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Excuse me? Do you not know that verse? He was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. He never caved. We do at times. And God gave us a provision. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and get back on the course again. Get the focus back where it belongs. Amen. So how did he do it? Well, he was motivated by the joy that was set before him. And he endured what he had to go through until he arrived. And so he's calling upon us to do the same thing. Patient, endurance, just keep going, keep doing, keep serving, keep trusting, keep looking. And you will be glad that you did. He was rewarded when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now look at verse 3. Consider him now. Consider him. Give some thought to, reckon with, count, meditate about what he went through. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Folks, we do not know yet. Only God knows what we're what we're facing. You know, I look at you young people, you look awful young. Don't you think they look young? They look you seem to look younger every year. I don't know if kids are just getting younger or if we're getting <laughs> older. <laughs> But you look at these young faces and you think, what are these young people going to face in their day? But God knows. And that's why you trust him. That's why you give your life to him. That's why you walk with him. That's why you keep your focus on him. He knows exactly what you're going to go through and he's going to take you through it. He's going to give the grace and the enabling that we need to do what he's calling upon us to go through. And you can do it. And you don't quit. Don't quit. Don't get weary in well-doing. For you shall reap if you faint not. Just keep going. Do what God's called you to do. Young people, right now you're in college. Make the most of it. It's going to go by very quickly. You'll be looking back very soon thinking, my, that went by fast. So now you're in it. So give your focus to doing it because this is where God has called you. Give yourself to it. Give it your all. Do the best you can. Be out there witnessing and and winning people to Christ and helping disciple them. Giving yourself to your lessons and your studies and give it all you got. And the day will come when you'll be glad you did. Amen. But keep your focus where it belongs. Keep your look where it belongs. Looking unto Jesus. The author, the pathfinder, the uh, the one who's gone this way before us, and put your faith where it belongs in Him, trust Him, and He will bring you through. You're a conqueror, Amen. We're more than conquerors through Him that loved us.